0: This morning, our family has a girl that we've sponsored for many years uh, in Ethiopia, and it was kind of fun. We found a, a girl amongst the packets where we were when we chose to sponsor a child, and we found a, a little girl who uh, is the same age as my daughter, Rachel. She had, her birthday is one day after my daughter's birthday, so it's kind of neat as we see Rachel growing, we kind of get an idea of how old Kaleni is and, and what she's going through, uh, so definitely a, uh, a wonderful ministry. It's something that we use as a part of our family time in the morning. We, we pray for Kuleni daily you know, with the kids when we do our family devos in the morning. So good, uh, good stuff. Go check out that table. And then next week, I don't know if you saw the banner by the road, VBS is coming. It's in the air. Uh, springtime, the flowers come up, as Joe mentioned, but VBS is also upon us. So uh, be thinking now about how you want to volunteer and be a part of that, because we'll have a table out there uh, next Sunday for volunteer signups for VBS. Joe mentioned my wife's away for the weekend. We dropped her off at the airport on Thursday, and she'll be back. We'll pick her up on Tuesday. So I've been alone with my tribe of seven uh, for a few days now. My wife is probably watching, so Jess, all the kids, they all have their fingers and toes. Everyone's good. You don't have to worry. All right, let's get to the Word, shall we? So we're in a series in John's Gospel. Last week, we fast-forwarded 15 chapters to chapter 20 for Easter, but now we're back where we left off. We're going to finish up chapter 5 today. So by way of reminder, here's where we left off. This is important because we're we're really continuing uh, a single kind of stream of thought from two weeks ago. We looked at Jesus' response to some angry religious leaders who wanted to kill him because he was claiming equality with God. And if you remember Jesus' response, he wasn't, hey guys, you know, there's a big misunderstanding here, you know? No, he doubles down. He says, yeah, you heard me right. I am equal with God, I am one with the Father. He does everything the Father does. And he says all the Father tells him to say, he does all of the Father uh, shows him with all the power of the Father. And because they, the, the Jews, they're fiercely monotheistic, meaning they worshiped only one God, they couldn't grasp what today we now know as the Trinity, tri one God and three persons. So they rejected Jesus. They wanted him dead. But Jesus made it clear that if you reject him, he will reject you on that last day when he comes. The point is this. What we believe about Jesus matters. What we believe about Jesus matters. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. We cannot, as our culture has done, fashion a Jesus to our own liking. Have you ever heard this before? I love Jesus, but just not the church. I'll tell you, if that's your Jesus, then it's not the Jesus of the Bible, because if you love the true Jesus, you would also love his church. He calls the church his bride. How can you possibly claim to love Jesus and reject his bride at the same time? We must examine Jesus' claims about himself and either accept or reject them but we cannot distort them into into a Jesus of our own liking it's not an option that we're left with you may have seen those stores in the malls right that our kids love so much the build-a-bear workshops well it's a cute idea for kids but it's a deadly idea to approach the Bible with that kind of build-a-Jesus mentality. We can't do that. We can't take the parts we like and reject the parts that we don't. We've got to take it all at face value and decide for ourselves whether we will accept it or if we will reject it. Today we're going to look at the rest of Jesus' argument, which goes essentially like this. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe my testimony, fine. Don't take my word for it. There's other witnesses That agree with me. And he's gonna bring in these other witnesses. And so who are these other witnesses? We're gonna look at three of them, and then I'm gonna give you a caution. Actually, I'm gonna give you three, three point five. There's like a fourth hidden witness here that we'll discover. So three witnesses and a caution. That's where we're going today. So grab your Bibles, open them up, turn with me to John chapter five. We'll be in verse thirty through forty seven. If you don't have a Bible, please make use of that Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that home and read it. We're on page 1058. And once you're there, if you would mind standing out of reverence for God's word as I read it, follow along with me. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the the testimony that He bears about me is true. You sent to John, and He has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you did not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Thank you for these words of yours that we have written down in our Bibles, preserved through the centuries, that we may know and believe and be saved. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. May the word take root in our hearts and bear fruit for your kingdom this morning. Change us and make us more like Jesus today. We pray these things in his name, amen. All right. The witnesses, <clears throat> the Baptist, the works, and the word. But there's another one here. First notice that Jesus says in verse 31 that he's he's not saying that his testimony is not true. He's speaking hypothetically. Notice the line of reasoning that starts in verse thirty. He says, he says this. I, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this goes back to what He's already said earlier in this chapter. He and the Father are one. He's equal with the Father. Everything he hears from the Father, he, he, he says. Everything he sees the Father doing, he does, right? And so here again, it's a reminder to what he's just said. This is kind of a, a link between these two halves of this passage. Uh, he says, I can do nothing on my own. And then he says this in verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. I remember back to two weeks ago, Jesus said the Father shows him, tells him everything. And what the Father does, Jesus does. What the Father says, Jesus says. And then we come to verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Remember verse 31, it's hypothetical. If he alone bears witness, his testimony is not true. So in verse 32, he says, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There is another who bears witness about me. Who is this witness? He's going to point to John the Baptist in a minute, but that's not the one he's talking about here. The context makes it really clear that he can only be talking about the witness that he receives directly from the Father. About who he is. And this is why he says that he knows with such unwavering confidence that it is true. Because it comes to him directly from the Father. This is why he says in verse 34 that the testimony that he receives or accepts is not from man, it's from the Father. This is what he's talking about here. This is the other witness. And this is, this is a matter of authority. John's witness is good, but he'll always be a lesser authority to God the Father. And so if Jesus were to point to John and say, this is it, this is the linchpin, believe John, right? This is, it all rests on him. The moment he were to do this, the authority of God would be undermined and the testimony of man would be elevated over that of the testimony of God, Church, this is why the Word of God is our ultimate authority. We don't take anyone else's word for it. And This is why I invite you to open your Bibles with me on Sunday mornings as I preach, because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to see it for yourself I want you to fact check me. You use the Bible. Fact check me. If I go off the rails on something, I want you to call me out on it. This is not my church that I'm building, it's Jesus' church, and He builds it by the power of His Word and the activity of His Holy Spirit, who transforms hearts and minds. That is above my pay grade as a pastor. I cannot transform hearts and minds. I am 100% dependent on the Word and the Spirit for that work. We all need to be. I stand up here behind this pulpit under the authority of God's word. I stand under this. I am not the authority over it and neither are any of us. But wait, you might be thinking to yourself, is he saying that, the, that Jesus is true and that the Bible is true because the Bible says so? Yes. That's what I'm saying. But isn't that narrow-minded? Isn't that anti-intellectual? Isn't that circular reasoning? It's true because the Bible says so. It's not, and here's why. If God and his word are the ultimate authority in the universe, then there's no greater authority that we could possibly appeal to above this. There's nothing more. Not science, not reason, not experience. There's nothing higher than this that we can appeal to. The second we do, God's authority is reduced. It's under something else. But look at this. In verse 34, after Jesus brings in John's testimony, he says that he he does this He doesn't accept the the testimony of man, right? But then he says this, but I say these things so that you may be saved. You see, Jesus knows that we don't have the the benefit of a party line to his communication from the Father. Now, the second I said party line, I lost everyone in here who's under 40. Uh, Anyone here remember party lines? That's a little before my time even. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar with what a party line is, there was a time when we didn't have phones in our pockets. They were attached to a cord on the wall. Yep, that's true. And you couldn't check your email on them either or surf the web. Uh, they, you could only talk to people. And uh, you shared one single phone line with everyone on your street. So you could pick up the phone... And if a neighbor was already on the phone talking to someone, then you could eavesdrop in on their conversation. Kind of crazy, right, to think about today? A little privacy. Well, Jesus knows we don't have that kind of access to the Father's testimony to Jesus. We, we don't get the party line on everything he's saying to the Son uh, and everything he's doing and the, the Son is doing that. We don't have that. And so look what Jesus does. He condescends. He gives us the testimony of a lesser authority, the witness of John the Baptist. How gracious of God to do that, knowing that we couldn't possibly recognize his ultimate authority with our senses, he gave us witnesses that are accessible to us, that, we could, that could be touched and that could be engaged with. And so the Jews of Jesus' day were given John the Baptist. This is the first witness that we're going to look at this morning. John the Baptist. Look at verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Jesus calls John a burning and shining lamp, meaning that he was a prophet who came with passion and with substance to reveal who it is that Jesus was. Psalm 132, verse 17, foreshadows this. Hear these words. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. And that's exactly what John was. Remember John chapter 1, verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And John was not the true light, but you could say that he was lit up by the true light as a lamp showing the way to Jesus. And this is John's testimony. John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then verse 34, chapter 1, And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. But in verse 35 in our text today, he tells us that the Jews, they were willing to rejoice in John's light, but only for a while. John sure did draw crowds for a time. He was certainly a sight to see with the camel hair and the eating bugs with honey. Some people today will go out to see that, right? But then he gets arrested by Herod and eventually he's beheaded and his lamp and his witness fade from the top 10 charts of the hearts of the people and their faith. It was, it was shallow. It was fleeting. They were there for the show and the show was gone. And Jesus points to a greater witness. This is our second witness. Jesus' works. Look now at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Remember, John, in his gospel, he calls Jesus' miracles signs. They're signs. Think about the function of a sign. They point to something else beyond them. The point of the sign is not to draw attention to the sign, but to point to something else. And so the purpose of Jesus' signs were to be a witness that pointed people to him and who he is, not to be marveled at as some kind of traveling circus act. Could you imagine people today just kind of gathering around a sign, like, hey, we made it, we're here. You know, they have a little party around a sign. And really, the the, the real deals happening, you know, a couple hundred yards away or so. Again, you have uh, John twenty on your bulletin covers as a reminder. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So Jesus' miracles or signs, that's the second witness. And here's the third and the final witness in this text anyway. It's the witness of the Father again. That's what Jesus is pointing to. But his witness is seen in the scriptures themselves. So the witness of the Father through the scriptures is they... Jesus says in verse 39, that bear witness about me. And in verse 46, Jesus says that Moses wrote about him. And his, so his writings, too, were then signs that pointed to Jesus. Now, what's really going to be helpful for us here is to understand something that scholars have made a distinction uh, in regarding the word of God. There's there's two ways of looking at it. One is to see it as the written word of God. It's written down for us by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we have the written word, okay? But then there's also the living word, which is the eternal Son, the second person in the Trinity. And we we read about him here, John 1:1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. These words weren't written down by men in the very, very beginning. But the word, the living word, preexisted this. The word was with God and the word was God. So we have the written word and we have the living word. And that's going to be important as we move forward through the end of this, this sermon this morning. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So understanding this distinction, it's the written Word uh, that is a witness that points to the living Word. The written Word points to the living Word. And we're not, we're not just talking about isolated Bible verses that are specific prophecies that we can point to. We like to look at places like uh, Isaiah 53 and, uh, and others that are very, very clear. They're just pointing to Jesus, right? Uh, but I think that in view here is the entirety of the scriptures being pointing to Jesus. Listen to how Luke explains this in his gospel, chapter 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now I don't have time to drill into this a lot this morning, but the point I want you to get is this. This is what I want you to hear. Jesus isn't just in the New Testament. He's in the Old Testament too. He's in the whole thing. The whole thing points to Jesus The whole written word points to Jesus. And this means, this is kind of fun, right? This means we're invited to look for him. When we read the Old Testament, we're invited to look for Jesus. Where is he? How is this pointing to Jesus? When you get this, it'll just transform the way you read your Bibles. When you understand that all of the scriptures are intended to point to Jesus. So that's three witnesses that Jesus pointed to in this text, the, the Baptist, the works, and the written word. We're not left without witnesses. We don't have the privilege of that party line, but we're not left without witnesses. He, he condescends to give us lesser uh, authority witnesses uh, that, we, we can, that we can be saved, is what he says. And the last point is a caution. Caution that you not make the same error that the religious leaders made, especially with this last witness, the written word. You've probably heard the expression uh, missing the forest through the trees. Anyone hear that one before? Missing the forest through the trees? Well, this is a good way to understand the caution that Jesus gives here. The religious leaders were guilty of missing the, the living word through the written word. They were guilty of missing the living word through the written word. Remember, a sign is not the destination. It only points to it. And so the religious leaders were guilty of setting up camp and pitching their tents around the written word. Jesus tells them that if they really absorbed and obeyed Moses' writings, then they would have believed him too. They missed it. And here's three ways they failed to miss this. And there are also three cautions for us this morning. First is, their hope was misplaced. Here's that word. We've been talking a lot about hope today. Their hope was misplaced. In verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. When I prepare... Uh, messages for Sunday. I like to look at different translations and uh, this was really striking. The NIV translation says here that uh, they, they diligently searched the scriptures where the CSB translation, this is really cool, they poured over the scriptures. They poured over the scriptures. Why? It was because they thought that the words themselves would give them eternal life. They they obsessed over the words and became hyper-legalistic. In verse 45, Jesus says that they set their hope on Moses, meaning his writings and the law. But what a stinging, when you understand this, what a stinging indictment Jesus gives them for people who poured over this. This is what he says you've never heard his voice. You've never heard his voice. Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, wrestled with God. He saw his form. He says to these religious leaders, you've never seen his form. You're not a true Israelite. You've never seen him. And then you don't have his word abiding in you. Ouch. To people, he's saying this to people who diligently searched this, who poured over this. You've never heard his voice. You've never had his word abiding in you. They've given themselves to the written word and yet the living word is a complete Stranger to them. This is how the Apostle Paul was before he encountered Jesus. Here he describes this in Romans 7. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Paul poured over this, Paul searched this diligently. And he came to discover that the very commandment that promised life, that's where his hope was before he met Jesus, proved to be death to him. There's no life in the law itself. It only points to the life. We've got to see that. When we come to the word, we've got to see that it points to the living word. John 1.4, in him was life, and life was the light of man. How many of you know your Bibles inside and out? And perhaps a fraction of your hope is in this. It's in how much you know, as if you could earn favor from God by how much knowledge you have here, okay? If this describes you, you need to repent. Some people are Bible study addicts on an endless quest to acquire more and more knowledge, but it's possible to do that and not even know Jesus at all. Secondly, Jesus says in verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. This is why they refuse to come to him, because they don't really love him. A person can go through the motions of faith for a lot of different reasons that don't include the love of God being in their hearts. And this is related to the third failure and the third caution for us. Their motivation for pouring over the scriptures was not the love of God, but the love of man. And this is Jesus' rebuke in verse 44. You can't believe because you're too busy chasing after the opinions of other people. You don't seek the glory of God at all. You're seeking the glory from man. By devoting themselves to the study of the scriptures, they crafted a certain appearance for themselves that earned the praise of people, and they loved it. It feels good. People look up to me. I'm going to pour over this some more and get some more praise from people. They loved it. Have you fallen into the trap of keeping up appearances? This is really tricky. This is a fine line here because this really is a matter of the heart. Attending church regularly is a good thing. But if you do it because, if you don't do it because you love God and you're trying to keep up appearances and to get praise from man, that's, a, that's an issue in your heart. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to search you to reveal that to you. The same thing can be said for attending Bible studies, small groups, serving, teaching, preaching. All good things, but why are you doing them? Is it because you love God or is it because you love the reputation it gives you? It's about the heart. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Right? Let us not miss it. Let us not miss the living word. Through the written word. If this describes you, and you've been around the Bible for most of your adult life, even, but you've never met the living word, Jesus Christ. Come to him today. Come to him today. Stop camping around camping out around the signs as if they're the final destination. Come off the road and come to Jesus. Come to the living word this morning. Stop trying to score points with God with all of your Bible knowledge. It will never be enough. There's no life in it. Come to Jesus and find life and rest for your souls. as a free gift and not based on anything that you have done. Stop seeking praise from man. Care more about what God thinks of you. Come to Jesus who alone can forgive you and give you eternal life. His death in your place to pay for your sins. His resurrection life. He freely offers you by grace alone, through faith alone. Do you believe this? Then surrender to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you and live for him because you love him who first loved you. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the treasure of your word. The written word is a treasure because it points us to Jesus, because it it points us to our our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It points us to you. It reveals you and your character and your nature and what you're like. What a treasure. Father, may we treasure the living word above all. May the written words expand our hearts with more and more love for the living word itself, himself. God, we thank you that the word was in the beginning and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for the living word. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray that if any be here this morning who've been stuck, who've been trapped in that, in that written word, Father, that they would break out and see. The, the written word is beautiful because it points to the living word. God, I pray that many here would come to faith in Christ who've been stuck and trapped. Help them to walk away from legalism, from performance-based faith, Help them to see that they're already as accepted as they will ever be because of Jesus, the living word, and the forgiveness only he can offer because he's the only one who lived and died and rose again to pay for our sin and to make us right with the Father. May, may we come to him this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.